Welcome in to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is a man who is journalism royalty, but he will never call himself a spare. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? Yikes. I, yeah, I don't know about royalty. Um, all I know is I'm looking forward to some Florida sunshine coming up soon. Yeah, well, what, what you said? You said you got it booked. When are you when are you heading over there? Uh, February 13th. February 13th. Ooh. I don't know if that's a smart move or uh, a dumb move to get out right before Valentine's Day with uh, with your lady <laughs> friend there. Well, you know, used to doing an early Valentine's Day. Made that made that move a time or two in the past. We'll probably do that again. <laughs> Set the precedent and then you don't got to worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, not as eventful a week for the Tigers, but we still got a couple things uh, going on here. Most notably is we heard from members of the team this week in, I don't know what to call it. It's Traditionally, we would call this a caravan, um, but it seemed like it was more of a community outreach thing available to the media. Had Eric Haas, Matthew Boyd, Matt Manning. And I guess you got to hear from A.J. Hinch as well. Uh, I guess that is something. We heard from them. Had got a little bit of insight there. Uh, this has nothing to do with what we're about to talk about. But I have to kind of start out with this. It's kind of interesting that Matt Manning was there. Is that, did that raise, <laughs> raise eyebrows the wrong phrase? But I found it kind of interesting. No, 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 for real. Like, I found it kind of interesting because... Okay, so Matthew Boyd is obviously, like, the world's greatest ambassador. He's an ambassador for mankind, let's be honest. Uh, Eric Haas from lives in the area, I assume, during the offseason as well. That makes a whole lot of sense. But Matt Manning, I was I was like, okay, how, you know, how did he get over there? How did he get selected? You know, it's a guy who, you know, is still trying to find his footing. He's another one that's a huge question mark. Typically, those guys aren't the ones that you kind of throw out there for lead-in events like these. Uh, but, you know, do you have any insight on that? Because, like, like I said, quite curious. No. Yeah, I, I wondered the same thing. Matt was not the guy I would have picked in terms of being the, uh, you know, the most, like, gregarious personality, like Matt Boyd or... Um, Generally, I think you would want some of your most marketable players mm-hmm. at this event. Not that Matt Manning could certainly be marketable. He's been a big prospect for a long time. But, like, where was Riley Green, man? Maybe he had some booked. Maybe he had prior obligations. I don't know, you know. I would have wanted to see if I'm a Tigers fan, if I'm a little kid at school. I want to see Riley Green or maybe even Torkelson. I, I understand you're not going to probably get Miggy to show up to this thing. You're probably not going to get Javi to show up to this thing, but... I don't know. Matt Manning would not have been my choice. And now for reference, in the past around this time of the year, the Tigers have done like a big caravan where the whole team is there and they they go, you know, there's an event in Toledo and there's an event in Grand Rapids and there's uh, multiple events all around the community. I don't know the answer to this, but for some reason this year, the Tigers kind of mailed that one in and, you know, they did something. They brought in three players and AJ and went to a a fire station and... uh, a school and, and did some hits on the news um so it, it was good but it was weird yeah it just kind of and it felt a little more kind of adds to the idea that like no one's excited <laughs> about this tiger season honestly 
when the events the team is doing again no tiger fest for like the third year in a row uh just kind of reinforces the fact that uh no one really cares aim low i guess which isn't great which isn't great you know but whatever yeah that's fair and you know you should want to do more of these things you could argue that you know this team is it really gonna sell itself you know like no. so, no. so you would like to get some of your. I know he's you know not a star, but in terms of a guy who's endeared himself to the community as much as one can uh, over the past couple years, Akil Badu would have been fun. You know, Badu would have been great. I'm surprised they didn't bring in Akil. Badu would have been great for yeah, this guy. That goes to Lions um, practices and stuff. He's endeared himself to the community. He's yeah. got a great name. You know, like that would have been fun. So, I don't know. I'm sure there's a whole backstory for how they planned this and who they invited, but on the surface, especially compared to prior years, it, it, I just don't get it. Yeah, so it was lacking in the the publicity department, but and you are uh, at least you were able to talk to these guys and AJ. That was nice. So, yeah, so no complaints there. What was There's a couple topics that I want to kind of go into, but just was there anything that stood out in terms of what these guys thought about the park? What these guys are thinking about, like the upcoming season? What is is there any sense of optimism um, coming from these guys? Because you know, this is why they're there is to sort of like sell the team, even though we said the circumstances weren't like ideal. But uh, was there anything to glean from this? Because like I said, you're probably not going to hear from these guys again until you are in the sunshine of Florida. Uh, yeah, I didn't think there was that much interesting to talk about. <laughs> Which, Classic offseason. I mean, it was it was nice to get some time with these guys. It was like Matt Boyd. We just talked to him when he signed. Nothing's changed there. It was good, you know, check in on Matt Manning. How's the arm health? Of course, he says it's it's fine. Not doing anything super differently this offseason. Just kind of monitoring his arm a little bit more. Um, I have a story running Monday on Eric Haas. I think Haas is a, a pretty interesting topic this preseason because as of now, uh, he's your most established catcher by far. doesn't look like they're bringing anyone else in who's going to really challenge there. So, you know, I thought Haas was kind of interesting. Um, Tigers hired a catching coach and Tim Federoics. The, the coaching staff is now complete. You know, otherwise, it, you got to talk to some players, their thoughts on the park. It was Mostly what it, it was kind of interesting to hear the pitchers like Matthew Boyd be like, you know, I'd rather give our hitters that extra 10 feet than, you know, have the extra space for me. Even Matt Manning was like, if someone hits it, you know, 115 exit velo, they, they probably deserve to have it be a home run. Um, so kind of, I, I think the pitcher's thoughts, you know, Haas's thought was about what you would expect. Sucks when you fly out 419 feet, uh, then that makes you press a little bit. Um, I don't know. I think those were kind of some of my main takeaways. It wasn't anything incredibly newsworthy, but there were some storylines to touch base on. So, okay, one of the things, reading your story, which if you're an Athletic subscriber, you can read, along with everything else under the Athletic umbrella. One of the things that kind of I latched on to, and it's weird because it's an idea that we just kind of say as sort of a throwaway line, and then you kind of dig deeper and you're like, actually, no, this has more gravity than I think I initially wanted to give credit for was the psyche thing. We just kind of throw it out there. It's like, oh, the psyche of the hitter, you know? And, and But then when Eric Haas kind of lines it up, 
And he's like, you know, if I go up for my second at bat and my first at bat, I squared one and it went 417 feet for an out, blah, blah, blah. You know, how am I, you know, to kind of recalibrate when I did everything right for the next at bat, but I was short technically. And, you know, like all those things going through a hitter's head when you when you go up to the plate in addition to, you know, scouting reports and situations and, you know, all those things. Um, I get that. I, I like. I felt like that kind of gave me a little better understanding. And then I don't know if uh, if if Matt Manning was like being one hundred percent truthful, or if he was just kind of like talking shop when when he said this. But when he, uh, the quote that you had in there about like if it's a if it's like an O two count, maybe I'll just like throw you know try to just throw a heater right over there. I was like. You know, maybe I won't do that as much or whatever. I was like, I was like, are you really doing that at all? That doesn't sound like a good idea, man. Like, I, I hope you were never doing that. Yeah, that was my definitely my takeaway. But, but I guess there's still like left field, which is pretty normal dimensions. I can pull it. Like, I was like, like I said, I hope it was just kind of like a talking shop thing. Um, but maybe just like a little bit of an example of how like a pitcher might change uh, uh, his approach. But I really do think the psyche thing is more real than 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 maybe we give yeah. it credit for. Yeah, I've never loved hearing hitters with the complaint. Oh, the park's too big. I do think Haas's kind of explanation was like the most eloquently mm-hmm. I had heard this framed, um, at least in a while. And you know, right now just gets me thinking. All right, uh, played on a softball team this summer. All right, I was raking, but I was I was one hopping the fence, man. Like every mm-hmm. I I would one hop it. I I needed like five to ten extra yeah. feet to get it over the fence, and I guess I just don't have that power, you know, in my on my tool belt. And so started trying to swing a little harder, mm-hmm. elevate a little yeah. more. Had a game where popped it up a little more shallow a couple times. Never got the ball over the fence. What was in my head? I want to get this ball over the fence. So. Multiply that by a million and imagine, you know, you, you, you sting the ball at Comerica and not only do you not get a double or a triple, you, you, you fly out and then how are you realistically staying within that same approach? Uh, kind of makes it make sense when, when Haas puts it like that. Yeah, and you know, like I said, I thought it was very, uh, very intuitive and it, and it kind of altered my perspective a little bit too. And in regards to like the pitcher's I'll give them credit. I'll give them credit for, A, kind of looking at it from the team angle. You know, it's like it's better for our guys. We play 81 games here. And then also, sometimes we talk about this podcast all the time, taking L's. You give up that, you give up that hit, just take the L. Don't, don't, try, to, yeah. don't try to take advantage of, uh, of the park's dimensions to avoid said L. Um, another thing, let's go with A.J. Hinch for a second. And you wrote about, you did a little bit more of a, I don't know if I call it a deep dive. I don't think this qualifies a deep dive for you about Matt Vierling. Uh but oh. but it was definitely a deeper dive, you know, as we you know, assess the trade uh, a couple weeks out. And there was something in there that he said that reminded me of an AJ Hinch quote from I believe it was 2 years ago. Could have been last year. When he was talking about Isak Paredes and second base, and he's like, "Why can't he play second base? You know, why don't he just 
we could play him at second base and then figure out if he can play it, but we shouldn't just say he can't do it and not give him the opportunity. Now, with Beerling, he's talking about he doesn't, he was not, he's basically not allowed to hit against right-handers for the Phillies last year. And as a young guy, he kind of was like, why am I only allowed to do this when it's like, you know, not bringing any news here, but the majority of pitchers, the majority of people in this country, in this on planet Earth, are right-handed. He knows he's hit right-handed pitching before. Like that's just <laughs> how how it is. And he, it seemed like Philly just kind of gave him the full stop. Now I'm not accusing them of doing anything wrong. The numbers are the numbers. There, he was better against left-handed pitching. But if the sample size is so skewed. That would also contribute to his ability to hit righties. And again, it's not like it's a weird thing for... It's not like a lefty-lefty thing. Righty-righty, your whole life, you're going up against righties. So I thought, man, he might actually be a really good fit for this iteration of the Tigers because A.J. Hinch has a track record while in Detroit of saying, why don't we see if this person can do this as opposed to just not even giving it a shot and to me that's going to be the epitome of and i'll get to a broader thing here in a second but that's going to be the epitome of this tigers team is why not why not see if if he can do this and i thought that was a great mentality to hear from a guy who figures to be a pretty regular player on this team yeah uh i think it's interesting to hear a player put it like that uh, then I look at the actual numbers. It's not like Matt Vierling just didn't play against right-handed pitching. He had 222 plate appearances against righties last year. And he had 217. So it wasn't quite a full workload. He was in, you know, 122 ABs against lefties. Definitely they wanted him in the lineup against lefties. So he had 295 against lefties. 333 OBP. He crushed against lefties. Against righties... Still had a decent sample size, and he did not perform well. Uh, you know, you dive a little deeper into Veerling, and you know there might be some concerns about the mechanic in his swing, and when is he hitting the ball in the air versus when does he hit it in the ground. Uh, but at the same time, I do think the point of opportunity still looms large for Matt Veerling. One way I put it, uh, you know, he has... 396 at-bats. He barely has more at-bats in his career than Riley Green, who we're thinking of as, oh, just kind of got his feet wet in the big leagues last year. Veerling doesn't have that much more experience, so I think there's definitely room for this guy to continue to grow and uh, certainly something that will dictate how successful he can actually be is can he hit right-handed pitching. Is is this... How serious is this idea of him getting time at third? Are we just kind of talking about it? You know what I mean? Are we just kind of throwing it out there just because? Uh, Knowing AJ Hinch, I'm going to go with no. Uh, I I had this thought this week. What if we're underselling it? Because, well, one, I mean, I think naturally Veerling probably makes the most sense as a platoon in the outfield because you have all these other left-handed outfielders. That's probably a natural home where you can get them in the lineup. But let's say, let's say Kerry Carpenter starts kind of starts kind of crushing, and you're like, man, we need, we need to keep throwing Carpenter out there, you know. Um, 
and then your infield appears to be lacking. Let's say there's an injury to someone in the infield, like Veerlin could play third, Maton at second. What if, uh, you know, if, if Torkelson struggles, like Veerling's probably too fast, I think, to just stick at first, but he can play first, or you could uh, move Maton or Scope to first. Like, I think there's a world in which it's certainly possible we see more of Matt Veerling on the infield than we're thinking of. Um, I think that speaks less to, like, Veerling's skill set. I think he's too fast, too dynamic. Like, I think he makes the most sense in the outfield, but speaks more to, like, this roster is a jumble, and we don't know what the infield configuration is going to be like, so let's just not rule this out. You know, I... As a lifelong Lions fan, I'm accustomed to uh, having hope when I really shouldn't. Like, at the beginning of every season, every summer, training camp, you know. And with baseball, it's a little bit of the same, but, you know, it's different sports, obviously. T team turnarounds are, you know, it, it's a completely different animal. But I have found my winter optimism for the Tigers, in a way. So I have long said, and we've kind of adopted this, that, you know, 2023, more more of a wash year. And you look at the moves, obviously they weren't aggressive in trying to sign your way into, content, into contention, trade your way into contention. But I'm getting like 2021 vibes here, Cody. And, and I mean that in like, like a positive way, not in a here's a team that's going to turn the corner because it's not. But I mean that, and it's like, okay, so you had the new manager that season, right? And then this year you have the new general manager, front office, president of baseball ops, whatever you want to call it. And I feel like when a new manager or GM comes in, you there's a little bit of a kicking the pants to the guys on the team because the manager is obviously the one that you got to work with day to day going to dictate your playing time the gm is going to dictate whether you have a job here or not so i think there i i i'm just i'm just kind of projecting here i think there might be some guys that are a little bit more a little bit more motivated a little bit guys that you know we mentioned badu earlier badu has got to sell himself to a whole new guy now that's that's a real thing and so I would expect Akil Badu to come in as ready as he's been uh, in his life for spring training. Uh, Spencer Torkelson, you know, all these first-round draft picks, you can throw Riley Green in there too. Guys that were not drafted by Scott Harris, you know, even if you think like, oh, I, I got my place in this organization relatively made for me to develop. Well, not necessarily, man. It's, in a, whole, it's a whole new ball game. So my optimism is that I think we're going to get – the best effort out of a lot of guys uh, from from this team. And then also I feel like dug out to owner's box, GM box, whatever, is, a, is more aligned than it was previously. And I would like to see, you know, the 77 to 85 window of wins. I think that would be great. I think that would give me a lot of reason to look forward to 2024 and last year was obviously a lot different because with all the moves where they did try to sign their way, trade their way into contention where it fell flat. And also, in an analytical world, we don't like to use the term luck, 
But one of the areas that it does happen is injuries. There's bad luck injuries, and those te- those things tend to kind of sway back and forth. And it's hard for me to think of worse luck than the Tigers had injury-wise last year. And so this year, I would I would anticipate them being more healthy throughout the season. You're still going to get injuries, of course, but more healthy than they were last year because that's just kind of how these things tend to sway. So I guess I asked you, does any of that make sense? Is any of that at least well-founded in reason while also not being hyperbolic? Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's unrealistic, especially like the lower end of the win total that you laid out there. Um, last year's luck was terrible. And for some perspective, there's there was a good tweet this week from friend of the pod, Mark Gorush, and he said, Shut up, Mark. Detroit won 66 games in 2022. Good health and the lineup tweaks are probably worth an easy 10 wins. What happens after that is up to player development, AJ Hinch, and some good luck. That's a pretty optimistic way to look at the Tigers. An easy 10 wins? I, I don't A full season of Austin Meadows is a win or two. A full season of Erod could be uh, a win or two. You know, if you're just going by war, I'm not completely sure. Like, scope, I don't know. Like, I, I can see six to eight wins for sure. You know, I do believe, uh, based on the 2021 Tigers in A.J. Hinch and player development, and, and I don't, I'm still concerned about this lineup. So I am tempering my expectations because I'm not sure how many above-league average hitters they have. I'm not sure if they have still any hitters you actually fear. Um, I do think Austin Meadows is a guy I'm really excited to watch play this year because uh, I think he could potentially be a difference maker. So much depends on Torkelson, who's just a massive question mark right now. I think Riley will be good, but does he really emerge as a star or is he just, you know, mm-hmm. good and the guy's still learning? There's so much undecided, and I think there's still some holes on the roster. There's literally not anyone with the letters, the number and letter 3B next to their name. You just don't have a third baseman, and it sounds like it's going to be up for the taking, you know, which maybe it's nice. You got a battle. You want a spot, go earn it. At the same time, what if nobody earns it? Yeah. You know, what if you have Nick Maton and Ryan Kreidler and a long list of guys who aren't actually hitting the ball and you got to plug one of them in at third base. So that's a long way of saying I have concerns about this team, but the line of thinking uh, that you alluded to, that Mark alluded to, is certainly within reason. And, you know, if you were to set realistic expectations for the Tigers this year, I think it's, you know, mid-70s win total and you show some positive momentum. If everything goes right this year, unlike everything went wrong, then maybe we can raise that ceiling a little bit. Uh, But to raise that ceiling, you are counting on a long list of things going best case scenario. Um, So that's, those are kind of my feelings. Yeah. So another thing, I think we're going to go back to, we're going to go back to a team that's going to like manufacture, like that was, that was, that was the word for 2021 manufacture runs, manufacture wins. And I think we're going to go back to that kind of brand of baseball uh, this year. And, you know, that's exciting. I think there could be another Badoo-type, like, breakout's too strong, so I don't mean that in the sense of, like, becoming a star, but sort of a guy that comes out of nowhere uh, and 
kind of takes his opportunity and does well for, you know, half a season or whatever, you know. I I think there's going to be a lot of characteristics with that team. And, you know, another reason to sort of get excited is the 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 exit of the Castros, the exit of Victor Reyes. Like the and I don't mean that like personally to them. I just mean the guys that just kind of hung around for a while and we and just became old. You know, it just became old to try to like pigeonhole these guys into some sort of role. And now you got a whole bunch of guys that are going to either first time with a team or, you know, the Carrie Carpenters of the world where it's like at least he's a new face of this trying to figure out if he's a major leaguer, you know. Like, that's exciting to me. And also, I wouldn't say I'm excited for this, but I am hella curious. What does Javi Baez look like in year two after a disastrous year one? You know, what is his mindset? Like, does he, what kind of shape does he come in? The notion of not having a labor um, a lockout, right? It was a lockout, not a strike, correct? Yeah, yeah. A lockout. Uh, lockout. I wanted to make sure I got that right. Uh, not having a labor dispute that resulted in a lockout. Like, how much is that going to affect him? I don't really care about Miggy also being in the best shape of his life. Don't care about that. But, you know, like some of these guys, like Matthew Boyd is this uh, sell that Scott Harris had on him actually real you know matt manning all right he's doing community events you know can you can you <laughs> can you be the number two can you be the number three this year you know like the, the, these are the kind of like it's it's intriguing at least to me and and i didn't i didn't necessarily anticipate that i was gonna get there with this team that soon of course when spring training happens you're gonna fall in love with it because it's baseball yeah. um but right now i was like you know i got I just got nice vibes, positive vibes, and for as excited as everybody was for Scott Harris when the hire was made, and you're like, okay, this guy seems like he knows knows his stuff, and then sort of the lamenting of the lack of moves, you know, for so long, and to kind of be in this place, I feel good about it. I feel good about being here uh, with this team. Glad you're optimistic, Kieran. I wasn't wasn't expecting the the hype to come out. The Lions have really got you feeling good. Anything anything's possible now, right? Uh, I want to see I want to see these guys with my own eyes in spring training before I really make a judgment. I want to see Nick Maton. I want to see Matt Veerling. I want to watch Michael Lorenzen. I want to see um, you know what are some of these young arms? Joey Wentz, like Bo Brisky. What are they going to be bringing to the table this year? Uh, I think spring's going to be really interesting because there's just going to be a lot to see, a lot to figure out, um, and I think we might have a, a better idea of, uh, look, everyone's optimistic in spring, but I think we'll, last spring I literally went down there and watched just nobody be able to hit the ball, and I was like, you know, there's still a good collection of guys, but I kind of began to temper my expectations. I never expected the disaster that followed. Uh, but just interested what the vibe, what the takeaways will be like this coming spring. And we are not far off from, from getting our tastes of, of all that. Well, yeah. And I think I, I want to do myself a service here and sort of like clarify, like I, interesting is exciting to me. It's exciting to me. Like maybe that's like my 
my journalism mind kind of blending with my fan mind, you know what I mean? Like, uh, interesting and intrigue are things that get me excited and hyped more so than, like, expectations of get, making the wild card or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just want well, to... One thing, one thing that did get me excited was talking about that 2021 team. It already feels like a million years ago. And God, wasn't that a fun summer? It was fun. Going to the park every night was fun. Watching that team just, just fight their asses off and scrap and claw their way to playing above 500 baseball and every game there for a little bit was fun and interesting with a roster that on paper was not very good Mm -hmm. so can we get a repeat of that you know that'd be cool that's that's something to hope for i think that would go a long way speaking of things that would go a long way uh it would go a long way for this team's future if Jackson Job ended up living up to the expectations that come with being the third overall pick. As of now, the hype is not generally there. Uh, this week, uh, Baseball America, they put out their top 100 prospects. Tigers had one. That was Mr. Jackson Job, and he came in at number 83. No word on where Keith Law has him. So, here's my thing about this. I don't, I've never watched Jackson pitch. I've never dissected his film. I know his profile. I understand, as I've said before, understand the reasons they took him. Still would have gone with Meyer. That looks like the correct opinion at this point, but there's still a lot to be said for their careers. The prospect rankings are just like recruiting rankings in college football, college basketball. They're meaningless until they aren't, or they're meaningful until they aren't. And if you're, and it's usually like how you feel about them typically aligns with how your favorite team or your school does with them. So, like, we're Oklahoma State graduates, Oklahoma State, good football program, not a good recruiting program. <laughs> And so you think, oh, recruit, you know, stars don't matter. You know, Oklahoma State wins nine to ten games every year for the last eight years. They had, stars don't matter. If you're an Alabama fan, if you're a Michigan fan, stars matter because that's how you get them dudes. That's how you get them dudes that are first-round picks. That's how you, you know, finally beat Ohio State two times in a year, make the playoff back-to-back years. Like, that's how it matters. And if you're Michigan State in the D'Antonio area, it didn't matter because you got NFL guys and you develop them, blah, blah, blah. So how you feel about it typically aligns with how your team does. My thing is, now this is actually meaningless in terms of how the guys will perform. My thing is you cannot pick as high as they picked the past several years. Now, in fairness, some of these guys have graduated prospect status, but point remains. And have one guy in the top 100, and that's not and that's not just drafting. That's identifying the international signings, which you know we're not going to get into because you know, like we know how these 16 year olds, 17 year olds, how they'll turn out. Like that, it's kind of a waste of time, in my opinion. Hopefully they do well, and certainly the Tigers splurge, not splurge, but you know those are expensive talents to try to bring in. My thing is, it's just kind of like a bad look for the organization. It illustrates why patience is 
warranted for Scott Harris to try to mold this team, this organization. And I hope Jackson Job succeeds selfishly because he's also an Oklahoma kid. You know, I obviously I've been gone to Oklahoma State. I consider myself kind of part Oklahoman. Uh, but it's just a bad look for the organization. And I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on all these guys or whether he should have been higher or whatever. But the third overall pick, just in general, a couple years out, should not be number 83. That's just that's just my opinion. Yeah, I think that's all fair. Uh, I think that's probably a pretty appropriate ranking for Job right now, who really was not very impressive the first half of last year, seemed to make some strides later in the year. Um, this is, you know, I think a year where we're, we are really going to learn, like, did he build an appropriate foundation last season and now he can really take off or you know is he kind of the pitcher we saw last season which is great stuff but uh command not always there still harnessing that breaking ball like is it is it going is it going to be a slower process for job i think we really find that out uh this coming season there's a chance he jumps man there's a chance he's he's knocking on the door of the big leagues by this time next year there's a chance the opposite happens of course uh, in terms of the rankings, like prospect rankings don't really matter. The top 100, like how big of an indictment is it that the Tigers only have one? I think one of the takes out there on Tigers Twitter was like, well, the Tigers farm system is, is deeper than it has been in a long time. And I think that's absolutely true. I think the Tigers probably have more top 200 prospects than they have in a long time. Guys like Colt Keith, Christian Santana, uh, obviously, I think Jace, Jace Young would be on that list, um, and, and there are a few more, Dylan Dingler even. Um, I think you have a little bit of depth. Now, what you want in a good farm system is top-tier prospects and depth. So for a while, the Tigers had some top-tier prospects. They have graduated, haven't necessarily been replaced by top-tier prospects. At that point in time, the Tigers farm had no depth. Now you have some depth, but it's kind of like how many of these guys are sure things? How many of these guys are you really taking to the bank? Um, and so that's just the state of the Tigers farm system right now. This is a year in which you need to come away with feeling really good about a Colt Keith or a Parker Meadows or, or a couple of these guys thinking you have top 100, a couple top 50 prospects this time next year. And in terms of Job, it's got to be mentioned Marcelo Meyer, ranked number 10. Jordan Lawler, ranked number 13. Uh, Andrew Painter, a, a, a prospect in that draft class, ranked number 5. So again, even if Job is on a fine trajectory for where he is, the Tigers' decision to draft him continues to, so far, not age very well. Meyer has, project, has gone as projected so far. Credit to him. Also got to give credit to Lawler. Uh that that's a guy that we were kind of at best lukewarm on and and he's done nothing but you know live up to the to the billing that entered his last year in high school so good for him gotta shout out the dallas kid whenever get a chance but speaking of depth of system i just find this comical Uh, mlb pipeline put out their their new top 10 second baseman uh and the tigers got two which is kind of funny uh, Jace Young, yeah, Jace Young, number three, and Wenzel Perez, who will likely see his uh, shot at the big leagues this year, long-awaited shot at the big leagues, uh, 
and I mean that in a complimentary way, not you know dogging him anyway. Like he's had to go through in the minors, and he yeah. should get a shot this year. That's awesome. Uh, coming in at number ten, suddenly this so, shows depth a little bit. You know, you yeah, hear these like, guys are in top one hundred. The, the farm system is deeper, but you need your Tarek Skubal. You need your Kerry Carpenter to a certain extent, a guy who just kind of yeah. pops and and becomes a piece of your major league picture uh, picture and you know jace young's another guy that you know you pick him what was it 12th overall you'd like him to be in the top 100 you know but it's still early for him and and, and we'll see uh but yeah that's just an example it's a comical example of, i guess the team being a little deeper uh than maybe we give them credit for farm system wise yeah, no, I think I think depth is the prevailing theme right now, as we have talked about. And, and to the Tigers' credit, one thing that I've we've heard for years, where's your 45s? Where's your 50s? Where are your complimentary big league pieces? Suddenly the farm is starting to look like one that can produce some of those complimentary pieces. And you have Riley Green, and you, you really need to uh, reinvigor faith in Spencer Torkelson. Um get a couple get one or two guys in this farm who really pops over the next year and suddenly you're you're in pretty good shape but we're we're another year or two away from really being able to feel confident about the farm all right so we we've we mentioned Torkelson a couple times in this podcast and it's apparent that this year really needs to be solid he needs a solid year uh again it's a new front office and that that matters even if you were one one, and just the psyche of a guy who has done one thing his entire life, and then he gets to the major leagues and he can't do it. So, one of the interesting things that the Tigers have done is something they haven't done, which is bring in some semblance of competition at first base. Uh, in a way, it reminds me. It's not a great parallel, but my. My, my my brain went to this. It reminds me of the Lions with Jared Goff the past couple years where they never brought in anybody that was, and I say this as a guy who was high school classmates with David Blau, who was never really any semblance of competition or worry or anything for the for Goff's first two years in Detroit, and that was purposeful. They wanted to build up Goff. You're our guy. There's no plan. There's no contingency plan. Uh, you know, this, that, that's it. You are it. And to me, it kind of kind of seems like this is the direction. Still early. Things could change. It's kind of the direction they're going with Torque a little bit. Like, not to say that there's no other guy that can play first base, and he's obviously not going to play every day at first base. But whether by circumstances or by purpose, it seems to me that they have decided to try to build him up as opposed to challenge, like directly challenging him in any way. Like if they had brought in, what was your guy from a couple of years ago, uh, Nunez? Renato Nunez. They brought in Nunez, that we'd be having a different conversation, right? Uh, but But no, it's... It's torque or bust. It seems like they're sort of like trying to give him confidence by saying, you are it for us. Like, we believe in you. This is how much we believe in you. Uh, I don't, am I reading too much into that? Or do you think it's just kind of like you can't check every box in an offseason? You just kind of, 
and maybe first base is a little bit like catcher where it was like we'll just we'll we'll deal with what we got but we got to there are more pressing matters i mean i i do think it equates to catcher a little bit and like are we really is there a surefire upgrade out there and especially when you have a young guy who does if there's anybody who needs to play and need you need to really find out it's Torkelson um but from a sheer team building standpoint first base is such an easy position to acquire offense and power usually at a uh, bargain price which that's why I think I would have liked to see them bring in some sort of contingency plan. They could maybe still do that on a miners deal, although I don't know how many of these guys are signing miners deal. There's still like Jesus Aguilar, Miguel Sano, uh, even Yuli Goriel wouldn't be a bad piece to bring in. That'd be fun. This this leads to another point. This would all be a lot easier to just carry another guy like this on the roster if you did not have a DH known as Miguel Cabrera kind of eating that. Uh, DH first base backup spot mm-hmm. you can't really take on another guy like that um, all that said AJ Hinch said look the best version of our team has Spencer Torkelson on it and producing and that is a thousand percent true yep um, I'm not opposed to pushing Torkelson I am in favor of having a contingency plan because if he's hitting 200 then you're again getting nothing from what should be a premium offensive position uh, but this is, you know, in terms of the future of the franchise, you got to let Twerk play this year. you got to instill confidence in him. Uh, so I guess what I'm saying is I can see the thinking either way. Um, I'm certainly not advocating that you bench Twerk and start someone else at first base. It's going to be Twerkelson's job to lose. But um, I guess that's my question. If he loses the yeah, job, what do you do? What's your what's your backup plan? I don't. If Jonathan Scope plays another inning at first base until he's age 35, I'm going to be upset. <laughs> so maybe that'll be the thing I like bicker with AJ about this year. Like Jonathan Scope does not need to ever play first base. Again. I don't know. That's fair. And yeah, that would be, that's a disaster in two areas. Right. So, right. so yeah, that that's a fair point. So that brings me to something I kind of wanted to do on this pod is just have some fun a little bit with, I picked out 10 players with 10 stats from Baseball Reference. They have their 2023 projections on there. So I thought we could have some fun with this. Uh, for Torque, I they have his batting average projection at 225. So do we do we feel? I mean, he hit two. What was it? 205. Like 203. Was it, I think. 203 last season, and that's after. A little bit of an improvement. Uh, so how over how do we feel over under on the two twenty five batting average for Torkelson? I think like that's a safe and realistic projection. Um, it's hard to see him struggling to the level he did last year, especially the first half of last year. There's certainly a world in which he is easily hitting two fifty if he's the player we all thought he was and if he's somewhere in between that 225 with a little bit but not a lot of pop is probably a a safe bet um and if you're the tigers i think that's not what you want because if he has <laughs> that kind of line then you're you're kind of doing this again yeah uh, going into 2024 <laughs> whereas if he either really pops or really struggles then you can kind of make a judgment if he hits 225 with 18 home runs you know then you're like 
caught in between again. So I, I would almost hope for like one of the more extreme uh, versions of that outcome. That's a very good point about what that would even get you if he, if he hits 225 and then just be another example of subpar hitting, op- occupying yeah. the premier hitting position. Uh, just for, you know, give a, give a full scope, they also project him at nine home runs, 34 ribbies, 17 doubles, so mediocre. 225 with nine home runs ain't going to work. Yeah. So. Like, like not, not. <laughs> How what, many at bats does that project him at? Official at bats three sixty. Okay, four, so that's not quite four, giving him. That's giving four him four like oh two uh, plate appearances. It's not quite giving him like a, a full season. So, all right. So let's let's go on to another one. Another guy that the Tigers' future goes as he goes. Um, unfortunately, that's a lot of pressure to put on a young man. But here we are, Riley Green. Baseball reference has Riley Green projected at seven home runs. Now, in 376 at-bats last season, he knocked five. This is uh, 409 plate appearances, 368 at-bats. They have him projected at seven home runs. I would also say if he did not get eight home runs, we'd we'd be longing uh yeah that would that would not be good fangraphs uh zips which is a projection system i like a lot only has them at 14 home runs uh look i think on this pod we're not all the time trying to take a big stance or say this is going to happen or this is not because i baseball is a game where if you're thinking in absolutes i'm not sure that that is productive if there's one thing I would stake some confidence in, it's that I think Riley Green's going to hit more than seven home runs, provided he is healthy in the upcoming year. Um, and I would also feel confident picking him for hitting more than 14 home runs. You know, I think um, 15 to, you know, 25. Like, like I think if you say told me Riley Green's going to hit 17 home runs, I'd say that's, that's pretty realistic and mm-hmm. not even scratching what he maybe could yeah and for the record other projections include three triples which maybe that doesn't happen as much with this new ballpark uh, i don't know if they project you know, i don't know what goes into it i'm just reading the lines just for fun and a uh 258 batting average um with 95 hits so there's your riley green projections a guy that we also just mentioned jonathan scope this would be a bounce back year for him if, if this if this ends up being what he hits. He's projected at 248, excuse me, 241 batting average with 22 doubles. 22 doubles is the over under I'm putting to you. He did hit 23 last year and 30 the year before. But he is kind of in the low to mid 20 doubles once he became age 28 so once the the speed mm-hmm. left him a little bit he that's kind of in his realm so if he has an improved year i would say he should exceed the amount of extra base hits he had last year and the you know comerica renovations did not take away the doubles so yeah 
Uh, no, I would take the over on that, or especially if we're talking like cumulative extra base hits. Uh, what's a double? What's a triple? What's a home run? It, you know, it can depend what, on various factors, such as what ballpark are you at. Um, but all the projection systems seem pretty optimistic on scope, and that's one thing you can trust these a little more with players who have a sample size in the major leagues. And that's why the projection systems like him, because Jonathan Scope has produced year over year in the majors, and he's still not over the hill. He's only 31. Uh, Zips has him, you know, I think hitting in the 250s with 16 homers, and that's more in line, still probably not even quite in line with uh, with his career norms. Um, I, I just think you have to agree with that. Last year was such an anomaly in how abysmally rough it was from scope. Um, he just makes... There's just too much evidence pointing to him having a, a bounce-back season. All right. A guy who could use a bounce-back season, and the evidence of which might be more scattered than you would like, given his contract. However, Javi Baez, I've done positive one so far, so I'm going to do like a negative one. He's projected at 152 strikeouts. Now, for perspective... He struck out, I'll find it on there, 147 times last season. And in 2021, he struck out 184 times. And he's a 150 guy a lot of times, give or take, uh, in the strikeouts. That's a pretty good number. 152 strikeouts, Javi Baez. We know the kind of player he is. No accounts. He's probably going to change. Um but you think maybe, like I said earlier, if he can come in with a renewed sense of purpose after a weird year last year, a weird offseason last year, you know, maybe that number goes down a little bit while still being true to himself. I don't know. Yeah, it could. I think his strikeout total was always going to hover somewhere in that range. We forget that his strikeout rate dropped last year as an improvement over his career. Hilarious. His strikeouts are just so ugly, it doesn't feel like that. Um, you know, Zips has him at 97 OPS plus 2.9 war. And I think those are pretty realistic. And that's again, with 150 plus strikeouts and only 20 homers. Um, I think that's kind of probably the player Baez is, which as a fan, you might not love it, but on paper, if Javi Baez gets you 2.9 wins above replacement, like he's a pretty productive player. Um, and, of course, there's always a chance he hits closer to 30 home runs or maybe he does get on base a little bit more. Um, overall, though, I think these numbers are, are pretty fair toward Baez based on everything we know about him. We talked about that presence, and I mean that in the full scope. It's good and bad at this point in his career of Miguel Cabrera. Because he's still Miguel Cabrera, but he's also just a below-average baseball player at this point in his Hall of Fame career. Baseball Reference projects him at 11 home runs. And he hit five last year, and he had kind of hovered in the uh, 15 the year before that. He did hit 10. It's actually pretty impressive for him. He did hit 10 in the 2020 season. Yeah, he got real hot there at the end of that year. And 12 the year before that. So, 
you know, it's that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not buying eleven home runs. For I, I, Sorry, I, I, I have think to his go. Bats will that. drop this year, and I think one. I think these numbers do not account for human factors such as chronic knee pain that has diminished his power and isn't going to be just magically getting better. I agree with that. Another, and as we saw last year, I think once Mickey got over the 500 home run plateau, I think he's even admitted it. Like he kind of stopped trying to hit for power, mm-hmm. um, knowing that that wasn't in his best interest anymore. A guy who is an ambassador for the team at this caravan, not caravan, Matthew Boyd. Matthew Boyd is projected at 60 innings this year. And as I find his number... 60 innings? This projection system sucks. It thinks he's going to be a reliever for some reason. Or, 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 he's gonna or be... get hurt. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's because he pitched in 2021, he pitched 78 innings. So either, yeah, they think he's going to be a reliever or so they... That's just based hit on like two in, years of, yeah. Or injuries or whatever, so... Well, yeah, Fangraphs only has him at 91 and... Uh, 91 and a third innings so i guess these systems you know again it, it's it's this complex algorithm that i'm not smart enough to understand but it's projecting low innings because he's thrown low innings the past two years um where in theory he's healthy he should have more of like a full you know workload will that actually happen i, I don't know i guess now there's evidence to suggest he hasn't made it through a full season um in a bit so what else do the numbers have on that board I just, I just lost it. I gotta bring it back up. Fangraphs has him nine point eight Ks per nine. If he does that, I think you're feeling pretty good. Um, let's see if we can get a, an ERA total, even though ERA is not easy. Four point one four. Like I think that's, so, you know, probably about what I would project for Matt Boyd. Reference has uh, it at good four point oh five is what reference has. So they're point oh five. I think that'd be pretty nice if you got that out of Matt Boyd. I think that would give you the uh, 1.5 to 2 wins above replacement that actually justifies his, his $10 million salary. Uh, baseball Reference has him at just 1.1 wins above replacement. If I gave you... I'm going to make up a number now. If I gave you 20 home runs given up, would you go over under... Because he gave up 15 in 2020, again, shortened season, 39 in 2019, 27 in 2018, and 18 the year before. In 2021, he gave up nine, but again, he got hurt. So, Yeah, again, this is, this is skewed because of the innings. So if Matt Boyd gives up 20 homers in 60 innings, uh, you got a real problem. <laughs> if Matt Boyd gives up 20 homers in 120, 130 innings, uh, suddenly you're feeling pretty good. Uh, so assuming Boyd gets like a full workload, I'm going to take the over because he's just, I think, always going to be a pitcher who, who gives up a lot of homers. Um, doesn't mean he's going to lead the league again, but I think generally you're going to expect Matt Boyd to give up 25 to 30 home runs. Yeah, I think that's fair. Matt Manning, other ambassador for the team, projected to record... Hold on, I lost my number here. He is projected to record 
84 strikeouts. That is with a projection of 100 nice. innings. And uh, for whatever it's worth, a 5-6 and six record. They went with wins and losses on this, too. Um, yeah, I don't, I mean, based on what we've seen of Matt Manning in the big leagues, he doesn't miss enough bats. So I don't think that's, uh, something that makes you feel good, but 48 last season, 57 the year before. Yeah. I think that is, uh, I see why the computers think that. And although I think there's a version of Matt Manning that can miss more bats, I think that is, uh, I think that is fair. It's again, it's. It's a guy that you'd like him to be, but it's a guy that he's not now. Is, is that the, right. that's the best way to put it? Here's a fun one. I really hope this happens. I hope this happens. I think it would make for a fun baseball season if this happens. Akil Badu, 12 stolen bases. If he could go over, that'd be fun. I would find that I fun. You, yeah, I mean, if he gets on base, I think he's going over that into the 20-plus the range. Um, it's just a matter of he has to be on base in order to he has to be on first base in order to steal second base. But we got new rules that should make things a little more favorable toward base stealers. I think it, I think Akil Badu is easily gonna steal more than twelve bags. I guess he has to be in the major leagues to steal more than twelve bags. He has to hit to stay in the major leagues. That's the those are the caveats at play there. All right, we'll wrap it up with an Eduardo Rodriguez one. I know. This stat's meaningless, but it's just kind of fun to talk about. Can Eduardo get above eight wins? I'm not going to talk about wins. <laughs> I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> I'm just saying it would be nice if your opening day guy like had eventually like a double-digit number like a, a next to his name. I'm just saying it because they put I it mean, up there. That would be That would be a sign that the team is having a better year. Uh, it's really out of Eduardo's control for the most part, whether he can get eight or more wins. Uh, so that's, that's all I'm going to say about wins. <laughs> if Eduardo has double digit wins, that is a good sign for the whole team. Yeah. They got him pretty low on the hits given up 120. Cause he gave up, he gave up 87 last year, but we know what kind of year that was. And in 2021, he gave up 172, 2019, obviously he didn't, uh, pitched during COVID. 2019, he gave up 195. And those are 19 and 13 win seasons. I know wins are wins, you know. But, like, it's a yeah, it's interesting number. Red Sox team. All right. uh, how many innings did Eduardo throw last year? Last year, he threw 91. What about the year before that? 157. What about the year before that? 203. Well, he skipped 2020, in which he did not pitch. So, I'm worried about Eduardo's innings and thus his arm, just because of the scattered uh, career he has had, missing 2020 because of of, uh, the heart complications as a result of COVID, and then last year going AWOL for half the season. Uh, Fangraphs picks him to throw 130 innings. That would actually be a little bit on the low side based on his career. So, again, can he be stretched out fully? Do the Tigers have to monitor, limit him at all? More importantly, uh, just knowing how these things tend to go, I'm I'm worried about his arm because he's missed all this time and it hasn't been due to an arm injury. That's true. That's true. That's a good point. Something to kind of keep an eye on, I would say. All right, well, uh, we can wrap up with this. I have 
purchased my flight to Detroit. My wife and I will be in Detroit for the home opener weekend. Very excited. So uh, still trying to figure out the best mechanism to attend said home home opener. But it shouldn't be too difficult. And uh, we'll go to at least, probably go to the Saturday game as well. And uh, have a good time. So hope uh, hopefully be able to meet some people, tailgate, do the opening day thing. It's uh, opening, or not opening day, but home opener. It's also my 30th birthday. I'm not a big birthday person, but at the same time, it's like I'm turning 30 and the Tigers, it's their home opener. And uh, my wife's favorite team nice. is, is the Boston Red Sox. So, and obviously another chance to see my boy Cody. It would have been... Just a bad life decision to not go to Detroit, given all those <laughs> circumstances. So I, uh, we'll you know probably talk about this more as it goes up there. But you and I talked about it's not official until it's official. I will officially be in Detroit for the home opener. Very excited. I hope it's a good party. I love it. I love it. I'm excited. Yeah, Detroit and you show Kieran a good time. I'm gonna apologize in advance if I'm not the best time. I will have not been home in. Uh, a bit when that happens i'll be coming <laughs> off like a 6 a.m flight from houston going straight into covering the game so uh uh it's gonna be a difficult span of days for your boy but but we'll make it happen because on this pod we uh we turn up on this pod so yes we do. so we're and fun. we'll we'll do we have a, a couple things in the works in terms of trying to reward some of our loyal listeners so be on the lookout for that and again as we get closer we'll talk about it some more so anything else cody you want to get into before we get out of here no that is good just a few weeks away now from the start of spring training be sure to follow cody on twitter at cody stavenhagen i am at kieran underscore steckley our pod page is at turn corner pod apple spotify subscribe rate review subscribe to the athletic because your boy stay busy, but he's about to be busy-er here pretty soon. You're going to want to read all of his great content and everything else that The Athletic has to offer. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody have a great week. <laughs>